Good morning. Let me greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord for bringing us together again this morning to worship Him even in hearing the Word of God. Um, let me, before we start, to welcome Dave and Renaud. Uh, enjoy uh, fellowship with us here. Yeah? Get to know them after church, uh, tea and coffee. Uh, over tea and coffee as we fellowship together. And I see another new face at the back there. Uh, uh, can you uh, introduce yourself, sir? Uh, my name is okay. Great, great. Welcome, Lesedi. Uh, get to know him as well. Um, so we, we continue with our study in the letter that James wrote to the Christians who were in the diaspora, the letter of James, um, and uh, we are actually making headway now. We are in chapter 4. Chapter 4, we're looking at verses 1 up until verse 6. We'll stop in verse 6. Actually, the section here should be up until verse 12, but just for the sake of, of time and for the sake of having to deal with some of the things in the letter, we'll look up, uh, up until verse 6. Let us read from God's word. I read from the ESV, James chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 7, verse 6. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you matter. You, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and, and quarrel. You, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, Whoever wishes to be a friend of God, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is God's word. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that you are a God who speaks. You are never silent. And may we open our ears to hear, to receive your truth, to be led in the truth, Shine your light upon us as we hear you this morning. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. The title of my sermon this morning is A Warning Against Worldliness. A Warning Against Worldliness. There's a, there's a bed uh, which is called the albatross. Um, the albatross is an amazing bed. With a, with a wingspan of three meters. 
they are amongst the largest birds to soar the heavens. With such a large with, with such large wings, they, they rely on the gusts of, of air to keep them off the ground. But once they are airborne, they can fly at a speed of 70 uh, meters per hour. In its lifetime, it is said that it can fly around the world nine times. And as it flies, it, as it flies in, the, in the air, in the sky, it can withstand heavy winds and, and, and strong winds, heavy, heavy rain. It, it withstands the harshest weathers and continues to fly without any hindrance in the sky. Uh, though it is a resilient and tough bed, the problem is when it lands on a moving ship or a boat, it becomes seasick and it can easily be killed. But this is the same as Christians. A threat to our faith is not trial or persecution. In fact, a, a Christian can still thrive and live joyfully when they are going through some of the most difficult trials that can be faced. Th their faith can grow strong and encouraging when they are being persecuted. But the moment a Christian becomes worldly, the moment the Christian lands on worldliness, that's when they become weak and fall into the trap of the devil. You see, when a Christian starts looking more like the world, that's when the vitality of their faith and their testimony is destroyed. In these verses we just read here in James, James is concerned with worldliness making its way in the life of the church and believers. These verses come right after addressing two kinds of wisdom. Right? Remember in, in chapter 3, right? he addressed worldly wisdom and he addressed godly wisdom. And, and, and now he, he calls um, he, he, the people here uh, that are marked by godly wisdom. And, and he says godly wisdom promotes an atmosphere of spiritual growth and, and maturity. And here, as he comes to chapter 4, he goes back and, and zooms into worldliness to, to further warn believers against the destructive power of worldliness. So in these verses, these six verses that we just read, we see three warnings against worldliness. Three warnings against worldliness. Let us look at them. First of all, Worldliness affects God's community. Worldliness affects God's community. We see that in verses 1 and 2a. Verses 1 and 2a. Uh, listen to, to God's word as we read. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You see, a community that is transformed by the gospel will inevitably reflect the characteristics that are in line with the gospel. Right? Uh, this is a normal expectation from people who profess to have a relationship with God. 
what are we actually saying here? Is that when we declare our commitment to God, is that when you declare your commitment to God, this is what you're saying to the community. You're saying, I am at peace with God. And because I am at peace with God, I am at peace with God's people. You see that? Right? We keep talking about it. We keep talking about the, the vertical relationship, right? The vertical relationship with God affecting your horizontal relationship with people. But we see a different thing here among these, these believers that, that James writes to. And, and, and brothers and sisters, these people were believers. Right? They were Christians. They were saints. But we see a different thing here. Instead of being marked by peace and unity, they are marked by the opposite. Fights and quarrels are breaking out among them. And notice the skill and wisdom of James in addressing this issue. He starts by asking a question. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? What do you expect the answer would be from those believers? What do you expect the response to be? Oftentimes when someone is making, when, when someone is angry and you ask them this uh, important question, why are you angry? Right? Why are you angry? We, we, we unfortunately fall into this trap. Why are you angry? You, you hear an explanation like this. This is usually how it all, uh, how, how, how the explanation is given. You hear someone say, well, because you did this and that, that's why I'm angry. Uh, do, do you hear in the explanation what is happening? The, 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 the one who is explaining why they are angry, they are saying my anger is not from within, but from without. Right? It does not come from me. It comes from you. You are the one who is making me angry. In other words, something outside of me is responsible for my anger, not me. James is like a skillful archer here. He, he launches the arrow right on the target and says, Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You see what James is doing? Someone who, who, who would respond by saying, I'm angry because you did this to me. James says, is it not you, your passions that are at war within you? Right? That there's something that is going on in you. In other words, James is, is saying this. It is not what is outside that's the problem, but what is inside. Brothers and sisters, quarrels and fights reveal what is the driving principle in the hearts of people. Right? Remember how James addresses this issue of the heart being the driving principle? In chapter 3, we saw when he addresses the issue of the tongue, that it is not the tongue that is dirty, but the heart. Right? Then he goes on to, 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 to address the issue of wisdom, and he says wisdom, true wisdom in seeing in, 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 in actions, right? in, 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 in what we do, in how we behave. And so, um, bad behavior really reflects the heart. And, and here he shows the same thing, that anger also as well reflects the heart. So the heart is the center of the whole person. It 
reveals what the person values the most. It reveals what is most important to you. Now let me ask you this morning. When your goal is to be always right. When your goal is to be always right or to have your opinions to always stand, to, to shine brighter than others. When these, feel, things, uh, when these things you, you feel like, when you feel like these things that, that are your goal are under threat, then the response a lot of times is to fight and quarrel. One commentator says this. He says, when everyone seeks his or her own pleasure, only strife, hatred, and division can result. Right? When we, when we do not seek to, 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 to push one goal, when we do not have one goal, which is the glory of God, then we are looking to ourselves, right? We are looking to promote ourselves and, and to lift up ourselves. And, and when that is threatened, strife, hatred, division result. Look at verse 2a. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You see, when, when our desires are shaped by worldliness, we start to become like the world in the way we pursue them. Right? The, the, the word murder here speaks of bitter hatred that can even lead to murder. The, the point is that your inordinate desires are so deep that you will go through extreme lengths so that they can be met. Murder, fighting, and quarreling. You see, when we are characterized, brothers and sisters, by these things as a church, that's when we have stopped being the church after God's own heart. Uh, that's when we start being the church that God has called out. Uh, what, what this inevitably does is destroy the testimony of the church. We say to the world, come to Christ and he will transform you and give you a new heart. And the world looks at the church that is in strife, quarrels and fights, and laughs at the church and says, you say Christ changes hearts. Why isn't he changing yours first? Why isn't he transforming your lives? Why isn't he doing, uh, making a difference in your lives? You see, Paul addresses those who claim to be under the law but were dishonoring God with their lives. He says to them in Romans chapter 2 verse 24, listen to this very carefully. He says, the name of God is blasphemed among Gentiles because of you. The, the Gentiles are looking at you, the, peop the people who claim to be honoring God, the people who claim to be working with God, and, and, and you are dishonoring him. And because of that, they say, look at their God. Look at, look at these hypocrites. Look at these people. The name of God is being blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. When the world looks at the church, it is not supposed to see itself. Right? 
When the world looks at the church, it is supposed to see the picture of Christ. The church is called out to reflect to the world Christ and not to reflect to the world the world. So many um, people today think the church should be, uh, uh, they, they, they say relevance, right? They use the word relevance. They say, no, the church is not relevant today. In order for the church to be relevant, they have to reach out and come down to the level of the world. That's not what God called the church to be. God called the church to be countercultural. Right? God called the church to be different from the world. When the, world. when the church becomes like the world, the church has lost its purpose. The, Lord, the church has lost its power. Because when an unbeliever comes to the church and feels the same way that they feel in the world, that's when the church has lost its power. Now imagine this. An unbeliever comes from a world that is full of fights and quarrels, strife, comes into a church that is supposed to be a place that is characterized by unity, by peace, by harmony, and finds the very same thing that they were escaping from. Do you think that they will be ministered to? So James here warns these believers and says, worldliness affects God's community. And not only that, worldliness, the second, the second uh, warning that he gives about worldliness is that worldliness affects prayer. Right? It affects our prayer life. We, we see that in verses 2b to verse 3. Look at James chapter 4, verse 2b. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. Verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You see, worldliness does not only affect God's community, but also our prayer lives. The, the, the way James addresses this issue, you'll notice that worldliness affects your prayer life in one of two ways. Right? In one of two ways. First of all, uh, the way worldliness affect, can affect your prayer life is that it, it causes prayerlessness. It, it causes prayerlessness. Secondly, the way it affects your prayer life is that it causes misdirected prayer. Let us look at the first one, prayerlessness. Worldliness causes prayerlessness. Look at verses 2b. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. What is happening here? There's no asking, right? When worldliness makes its way into the life of a Christian, it starts to affect the spiritual disciplines of the Christian. There is no way you can live a life of sin and have a vibrant life as a Christian at the same time. The two don't go together. When you are in sin, you cannot have a vibrant life as a Christian. When one is present, the other cannot thrive. What worldliness does is, is shift our eyes from the real source, who is God, to yourself. It shifts your eyes from God to yourself. The, the, the message of the world is that you are self-sufficient. You, you can do it yourself. Trust yourself. 
And so instead of expressing our trust in God through prayer, we start to go about life by ourselves. One of the commentators, Sam Albury, explains that prayerlessness is a sign that someone is trying to run things in their own strength, for their own sake, under their own authority. Prayerlessness arises from a sense of independence from God, so that instead of praying about our desires, we indulge them. Rather than trusting in the Father who delights in giving good gifts to his children, we ourselves decide what is good and seek to gain it through our own efforts. In other words, worldliness tells you the lie that God is not as important or relevant. So why pray? You do not have because you do not ask. Worldliness, when it comes in, it destroys your prayer life. Worldliness causes prayerlessness. But, but secondly, when, when, when it comes in, sometimes it doesn't cause prayerlessness. What it does, it misdirects your prayer. Let me, let me explain this. We, we, in this case, worldliness is like oil, right? Oil in the pure waters of prayer. When you have a glass of water, a pure uh, glass of water, clean water, clean drinking water, and I come and pour a bit of uh, oil from the car, are you going to drink? You're not going to drink, are you? It's, it's defiled. It is no longer what it used to be. It is no longer what it's supposed to be. And that is what worldliness does. It is like the oil in the pure waters of prayer. It defiles it. That prayer tends and becomes something monstrous. Look at James, what he says in verse 3. You ask. There's prayer, right? They are asking. You ask. And do not receive. Because you ask wrongly. You see that? There's asking. But the asking is in the wrong way. To spend it on your patience. Uh, this speaks of the content of the prayer. The, the, the person praying here is asking but not, does not receive what they are praying for. James says this is because you ask wrongly. It is unfortunate that some, such kind of prayers are the kinds of prayers that people are encouraged to pray today. These are the kinds of prayers that have a form of godliness and, and piety, but are anything but godly. People are, are encouraged to name it and claim it. They, they are encouraged to, to name it in the spirit, to, to claim it, to, to speak the things that are not as though they were. Right? To, uh, people are encouraged to, to, to come to God as though God owed them something. That spirit, brothers and sisters, is a prideful spirit. It is not the spirit of humility that should be embodied in prayer that is pleasing to God. To, to ask wrongly here is to ask without humility. That's what James is talking about. To think that you are old when you come to God. It is to approach God with the spirit of a protester rather than the spirit of a beggar. Right? 
a protester says, give me what you owe me or I'll bend down this building. A beggar says, I am at your mercy. What you give me, I'm grateful for. A protester pickets and marches and says, you owe me. I had a conversation during the week. In fact, I was here at the office and, and we had protesters here throwing stones on the street and one of the saints who was concerned um, sent me a message and, and, and she mentioned something very uh, important about the word of God being authority in our lives. That when the word of God is not authority, when we are not submitted to God's word, then we start to do things <laughs> that are outside God's word. To, to stretch that conversation further, this will also be reflected in our prayer. Our prayer will not be shaped by God's word, but will be shaped by our desires that are of the world. That in fact, we will even use scripture. We will say, the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's what the Bible says, right? So I'm delighting myself in the Lord. And so he should give me this big house. I'm delighting myself in the Lord. He should give me this marriage. I'm delighting myself in the Lord. He should give me this car. The desires of your hearts will only be given if your desires are God's desires. When your desires are shaped by the world, don't think that God will bow down to your desires. You ask and do not have because you ask wrongly. You do not come in the presence of the Lord with humility. So James says, worldliness affects, first of all, God's community, right? And secondly, worldliness affects our prayer life. And thirdly, Worldliness affects our relationship with God. Worldliness affects our relationship with God. Look at verse 40, verse 7. Verse 40, verse 7, he says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit, that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, when, when worldliness enters the life of a believer, it tries by all means to replace God on the throne of the heart to crown itself. Jesus made it clear in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. But to put it another way, you cannot hold the hand of God and the hand of the world at the same time. When you embrace the world, you forsake God. When you embrace God, you forsake the world. 
But what is said as still is that when you side with the world, you are also saying, I am siding against God. Listen to the rebuke of James. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. First, notice here, to forsake God for sin is akin to committing adultery. He uses the Old Testament imagery where God is the husband of Israel. Right? And when Israel went astray, it was the same as if a wife was going astray to commit adultery or a husband. It is to leave the pure marriage bed of the faith to embrace a prostitute. It is to break a covenant vow with God. Secondly, notice how worldliness turns us against God. When we align ourselves with the world, we in turn align ourselves against God. We are at enmity with God. Listen to what the world says, uh, what, what, what the word of God says about how God will deal with the world. I'm just going to read two passages. Listen to this. Acts chapter 17, verse 31. The Bible says, He has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 7 to 8. This is speaking of the future. He says, Your doom has come to you, O inhabitant of the land. The time has come, the day is near, a day of tumult and not of joyful shouting on the mountains. Now I will soon pour out my wrath upon you and spend my anger against you and judge you according to your ways and I will punish you for all your abominations. The question this morning is which side will you choose to be on? The side of the world with its fleeting pleasures that will be brought to judgment or the side of God who has judged the sin of those who believe in Christ, in Christ on the cross. The side of those whom the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Look at verse 5. He says, do you not suppose, do you not, do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. What James is initially saying here is the scriptures are important. Right? We need to go back to the scriptures. And he, he quotes a very uh, um, confusing passage. He yearns jealously over the spirit that has made, he has made to dwell in us. This is one of the most difficult verses in the whole of the letter and has made a lot of theologians uh, debate a lot about this verse. But I think it is very important to consider verse 4 as shedding light on what verse 5 means. The, the, the striking and forceful imagery here of, of the Old Testament imagery of God as the spouse of his people is key to understanding this verse. I like what Douglas Moo says. He says it explains the seriousness of any flirtation with the world by bringing to mind the jealousy, the, the jealousy of the Lord, which demands a total, unreserved, unwavering allegiance from the people with whom he has joined himself. This is really something to rejoice about, to praise the Lord for, the, for his spirit who indwells us as believers. Because were this not the case, brothers and sisters, we would have fallen away a long time ago. 
You see, the Holy Spirit fulfills his ministry in the lives of believers faithfully. Right? He, he, he fulfills his ministry in our lives faithfully. And I'll show you how. He, he never fails to convict us or to remind us of the word. Remember after David sinned against God by committing adultery with Bathsheba? And, and he tried everything, I mean, literally everything, to, to conceal the sin, right? And, and remember that it took about more than nine months for David to repent of the sin. So in, in, he, he had concealed the sin from everyone but God. Everyone but God. God knew. And God continued to minister in the life of David in that time period. In other words, David did not have peace about his sin. Right? Listen to this. Listen to this. Psalm 32, verse 1 to verse, verse 3 to 4. Uh, this is David giving a testimony of what was happening in his heart in that time when he was concealing the sin. He says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as, the, as by the heat of summer. In other words, let me say this. God loves you so much. God loves you so much as his child that, he will, that when you go astray, he will not give you peace. He will not give you peace about it. See, brothers and sisters, listen to this. The worst thing you can experience when you are in sin is not the heavy hand of God. In fact, that is the best thing and I'm praying that this will be an experience for all of you when you fall in sin. That you'll experience the heavy hand of God because that is good for you. But the worst thing that you can experience when you are in sin is complete peace. Is when you are at peace with your sinful life. When nothing is happening. When your heart is not, is not uh, being uh, uh, convicted. When you sin and you continue on joyfully with life. When you sin and there's nothing happening, the Holy Spirit is not convicting you, he's not reminding you of the word, you continue. You eat sin like a, like a McDonald's Sunday. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. The worst thing that you can experience when you are in sin is to be at peace with that sin. But verse 6, praise the Lord for verse 6, right? Praise the Lord for verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Those who are broken, those who have fallen in sin, those who are who, who flirting with the world, those who are filled with worldliness, but they see that ah, this is not how I'm supposed to be as a Christian. I, I, I told my wife I'm not going to use this illustration, but I'm going to use it. Uh, spoiler alert. If you haven't watched Lion King, spoiler alert. Now, now uh, remember uh, uh, Simba, when he, he went away, right? 
and, and was with Timon and Pumba, and, 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 and he was reminded, and he, he went to see Mufasa. And when he looks down, and he sees himself in Mufasa, and Mufasa starts speaking, the, 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 the famous words that Mufasa speaks is, remember who you are. Remember who you are. When you are in sin, when you have strayed and are flirting with the world, remember who you are. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are God and you speak most clearly in your word. Draw us to yourself, O oh Lord. Draw us away from the world. Bring us into your presence. You call us the church, the ones who are called out. May we live in that reality of the called out ones. Glorify your name by making your word alive in our hearts. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.